Welcome to another exciting episode of the Alternative Investment Podcast. Listen in as your hosts, Jimmy Atkinson and Andy Hagens, discuss tax-advantaged investment strategies to help you grow your wealth. From commodities to real estate, private equity, agribusiness, and more, we cover it all here on the Alternative Investment Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Investment Podcast. I am your host, Andy Hagens, and today we're talking about proposed new regulations on non-traded REITs. And, you know, we've discussed this a little bit on the show in prior episodes, and I've teased that we're going to have a representative from the IPA on the show to discuss that. So I'm very pleased that today we have Anya Koberman, who is Senior Vice President of Government Affairs and General Counsel at the IPA, joining us on the show. Anya, welcome to the show. Andy, thank you so much for having me. It's a uh, a great topic and a very timely and an important one to be discussing today. Extremely timely. Yeah, and it's it's funny. We we had originally scheduled to record before the initial comments period was going to end on August 11th. Right. And then we were going to reschedule that. And then actually the um, the comment period got extended to, right. let's see, is it September 12th? Is that the new date? Yes. And, and I'll just make a quick comment about that. The IPA um, has been, so this, this proposal has um, pretty far reaching consequences. So while it's a proposal um, that it has a title of REITs, it really um, spills over into many other different types of products. And there's, um, and, and it both impacts, of course, the asset manager space, the the distribution side of the business, and whether it's a broker dealer or registered investment advisor, what investors are able to access. So there's a, a large coalition of groups that added their name. We've been working very closely with them, spanning you know real estate, um, retirement, financial services, the BDC uh, groups that added their name to this letter and said, you know, in the middle and height of summer for such um, a, a large and, and like far ranging proposal, 30 days is not sufficient. And we we requested an extension. Um, NASA doesn't always grant extensions, but uh, they did issue a, a, an announcement that they, they, you know, understood the concerns and they gave industry uh, an additional 30 days. So now the new deadline is September 12th, which is right before the NASA conference uh, where, and, and actually right before the IPA conference, which happens to be only a couple of days later in the sa- same location um, of all things. Uh, and this will be a time where NASA will likely with their members discuss um, and hopefully discuss the feedback they get from the close of the comment, public comment file. Sure. Yeah. And, and I, I have to say, I followed this news story in different publications and some of the statements from NASA and their representatives to me seemed pretty combative. So I hope that they're willing to listen because as you pointed out, there are a lot of stakeholders here, right? It's not just fund sponsors or asset managers. This is, this is going to touch broker dealers, RIAs, mm-hmm. and also individual investors. And you know, it, it, as far as our listenership uh, of this show, I know for a fact we have multiple fund sponsors that listen. And I know for a fact that some of them are already members of the IPA. But before we get into the topic, 
Could you tell us a little bit about the Institute for Portfolio Alternatives, what you all do um, on behalf of sponsors and, and what your role is at the IPA? Sure. So my role, I'm the Senior Vice President of Government Affairs and General Counsel at the IPA. Uh, the IPA has been in existence for over 35 years. And our membership, we have, you know, we like to uh, represent the, of course, the alternative um, industry, which is a large, which is a large and, and, and wide group of of um, constituents. So, uh, but our members um, are operating in the private and public uh, real estate, credit and other real assets. That's really the core of our membership. But we represent both asset managers, you know, distribution partners, as well as um, uh, industry partners. So that can range from law firms to accounting and a due diligence firms and, and technology firms. And, our role, you know, our, as an association, our role is to help create a better operating and business and regulatory environment for our members to be successful. And we certainly provide a lot of education and networking opportunities, and we host many different types of conferences throughout the year. Um, we have due diligence sessions, but again, what the 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 topic for today's discussion really involves all the 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 um, regulatory and and not for this discussion, but we also do a lot of legislative advocacy. But that is a core part of the mission of the IPA. The mission of any good trade association is 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 to be on the forefront of regulatory threats and changes and opportunities, and so that's that's a big part of what we do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, a, a lot of sponsors that I've spoken with, they see the benefit of membership in the IPA. And honestly, I think it's moments like these, like the exact topic mm -hmm. that we're discussing right now, when it's very clear um, that that we need a voice in the industry, we need leadership in industry to, you know, help make uh, stakeholders voices heard. Um, so, so I want to thank you for the very important work that you're doing, especially right now, but let's actually back up a step. And so we're talking about NASA's proposed revisions, mm -hmm. how non-traded REITs are regulated. Um, but as we were talking about before we started to record today's episode, there's really a larger context here. Um, so could you kind of walk us through what, what's the larger context how did we get here where we are, where NASA is proposing all of these changes to how non-traded REITs are, are treated and we have whatever, 20 days or 19 days left to even comment on it? How did we get here? That's a great question and incredibly important one. I'm so glad you asked that because that has gotten lost in all of the, the noise around this proposal, which is these are so the, the NASA non-traded REIT guidelines were originally drafted in 1996 and then they were updated in 2007 and they are now significantly out of date right the the product has evolved um the the guidelines reflect a product that is no longer um a product of a decade ago that's no longer be, is is no longer active is no longer being sold it may exist some of the old legacy life cycle reads in mm -hmm. in some portfolios but um largely the new uh product that is being offered today is called an nav read 
uh, but taking a step back to the guidelines. So these four pieces that are proposed that are in this proposal are not revisions to the guidelines. They are additions to the guidelines. So you will hear a lot from NASA that they are when a justification is that the guidelines are out of date and they need to be updated for current standards, but that's not what that's not what's happening. There are four new additional requirements dropped on to already out of date um, uh, guidelines or what we also call a statement of policy. Um, and so it's it's sort of paradoxical that you have really heavy regulation for offerings that are no longer being offered. Um, and, you know, they're just not accounting for the, the sea change, the, the change in the landscape that anyone in this business recognizes and that the IPA has made a, a concerted effort over the last few years to uh, inform NASA, inform individual states about the changes in the industry. But, the, you know, this proposal does not reflect that. And frankly, you know, our efforts have really not, they're, 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 they haven't been heard and listened to. And that's incredibly important um, in discussing this. And... Um, yeah, sorry to interrupt. It, yeah. Like some of the statements from NASA, it kind of reminds me of like a White House press secretary or something. It's They almost sound hostile, like like a jury's already made their mind before they even go to the, the jury room is the kind of vibe I'm getting. And and like you said, this product has changed so much. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing to me with, with NAF REITs and just non-traded REITs in general, uh, the the invisible hand, the, the free market has actually done so much. These products have improved so much. They're so much of a better value proposition for for the retail investor, for right. advisors and RAAs to place their investors into these products. Um, you know, there's all sorts of intermittent uh, liquidity, like in alternatives in general, but also in the non-traded REIT world where there's increased uh, liquidity, even, even outside of the publicly traded markets. And so the, the private market has improved this product, or rather I should say this product has just evolved in the private market to be so much better since even five years ago, let alone 10 years ago. I forget the exact year you said when these regulations came out. Mm -hmm. But like you said, they're regulating something that no longer exists. That's right. You know, it, something that gets lost is these are publicly registered. First of all, they're publicly registered programs. Mm -hmm. They have an incredible amount of transparency because, and they, you know, file their 10Ks and 10Qs and 8Ks and take strict liability under the Securities Act. And they uh, are, are, are transparent because REITs are, you know, subject to the S11 filings and, and state, state disclosure requirements. They're being sold by the largest asset managers in the world. They are literally, yeah, literally. <laughs> Wirehouses, all the large major wirehouses are um, selling this product. And a great statistic and an important one, especially for your listeners, is 64% of sales today are in no load shares. And so, you know, that is presumably through the, you know, fiduciary channel, through an investment advisor channel that would, you know, 
and, and this is due to the fact that there are now multiple share classes and 35% are in low load shares. That's a huge and important statistic. Um, you know, they're again, so they're SEC registered, they're, they're um, subject to an incredible amount of disclosure. And the new, the NAV reproduct is, has low fees, increased transparency, um, the uh, liquidity programs that are based on the net asset value calculation, right. which are pretty much a monthly um, redemption program, sometimes quarterly, and frankly, sometimes daily, like a mutual fund. Well, it, it, um, ex exactly. So like, this is not the totally illiquid, you know, you're locking your money up for five or seven or 10 years product of, of decades ago. And one other point I want to make is we've talked on this program about publicly traded REITs are going private and we're not seeing as many IPOs in the publicly traded REIT world because uh, you know the markets are discounting publicly traded REITs yeah. too significantly. It's removing the incentive essentially to IPO. And so in some of these real estate sectors, non-traded REITs are really your only option to invest if you want to invest in that REIT wrapper and so now by, you know, some of these proposed revisions and regulations, we're going to be, if, if they go through with this, they're going to be totally closing off certain real estate sectors from the retail investor because, because the public, the public markets, you know, there's this trend of the REITs in the public markets going private. And so I think that larger context has to be set as well. I mean, from the, from the, from the perspective of the retail investor, and their fiduciaries and RAAs, I think we should be moving towards more choice and, and absolutely education and transparency, but it makes zero sense to me to be removing choices from investors when some of these products might be literally their best option. Um, and I, I wanted to dive in a little bit to what these proposed revisions are and if it's if it's okay, I, I want to take them one by one. So I have I have this. Um, Can I make just a quick point? And you, you said something really important, which is, look, we're we're dealing. So NAV REITs are are tied to value, not price, and not fluctuation of the stock market, right? And this is a time of in, in market volatility and, um, you know, in high inflation. And if you look at sort of the tenets of modern portfolio theory, this is exactly the time that you want to have, you know, diversification of assets in your account and you want to have opportunities and public non-traded REITs are a way for investors to get access to private real estate in their portfolio and have that less correlation to swings of the public market. So I wanted to emphasize that point because that's incredibly important and, and it's an interesting time for this proposal to come out when this is exactly the type of product that gives you that diversification of assets and, you know, a hedge against inflation. Absolutely. And, and from an RIA perspective, from a perspective, I mean, I'm not an RIA, but from the perspective of advisors who speaking through every market cycle, when you have huge drawdowns, you're, one of your biggest risks is behavioral risk. Mm -hmm. Right. As a client who's not comfortable seeing my portfolio is 25% smaller than it was a year ago, like in 2008, 2009, mm -hmm. where just everything got hammered or during the current drawdown, 
And I think we're seeing now with these increased allocations to alts, as you said, they're linked to value, not necessarily to price. And so from an investor standpoint, as a retail investor, I know if I'm invested in a private placement offering, ultimately I own a share of these underlying assets. I own a, a, a teeny tiny little share of these apartment buildings. So the market zigs and zags and goes up and down. That doesn't change what I own. Mm -hmm. I own a share of these assets. So mm -hmm. I think that, you know, non-traded alternative investments, this whole world, I think we're seeing um, for a lot of investors, it helps us sleep better, that we don't necessarily have to see our entire portfolio repriced every second of every market day. Um, and, and so again, as, as some of these REITs are going private, to me, it just makes zero sense um, to be discouraging that. And, and so the original regulations are now decades old, and these are their four main proposed revisions. And I'm going to link this in the show notes. Yeah. Um, it's an article on investmentnews.com. And let's, I want to, I want to go through all four, Anya, and, and get your, your personal opinion and or IPA's opinion on these. So the, the first reform would include raising the broker standard of conduct to incorporate regulation best interest. What do you think about that one? Well, so this is a great discussion for your listeners. Um, if we look back at the justification of the proposal, and I'm going to call not call them revisions, I'm going to call them additions. Okay. They are just not revising uh, what is already out of date. But um, uh, regular, so one of the justifications, in fact, a very big one, because there's very little evidence and and data in the proposal to to justify why it has you know been proposed to the public. And um, there's certainly no cost-benefit analysis done or economic analysis. And um, so one, uh, one of the few justifications, it has to do with the federal regulation best interest, interest conduct standards. Mm -hmm. And NASA did a survey, they did a couple surveys over the last couple of years and a report on regulation best interest, which again, you know, impacts uh, broker dealers and some aspects of it will impacts investment advisors as well. And it's important to realize regulation best interests is product agnostic. And it is a standard for the, you know, sell the sale of products. Mm -hmm. it, it is not about the product itself. And so NASA's saying, well, you know, we're 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 basing the need for this the, this proposal, which includes um, confusing and duplicative and additional conduct standards that that by the way don't track all of Reg BI um, as um, a, a, that there's a need to do this because somehow there has been a flaw in regulation best interest because of product. But again, we need to remember that regulation best interest has nothing to do with product. And we actually worked with a highly uh, recognized uh, and expert in survey analysis that for a different discussion, but um, did a very long and thorough analysis that their reg best interest surveys and reports were flawed because um, they had uh, 
they didn't track be- reg- regulation best interests. And they were really, again, product focused and had a, an unstated, um, non-objective agenda. So the, the, the proposal, incl- so the proposal, proposal and, and, you know, not to veer off topic too much, but the proposal does talk about regulation best interests. They talk about some FINRA st- statistics. Those are all about, you know, uh, um, the, the distribution side of the business that NASA does not regulate. That's about, you know, misconduct or, um, you know, sales practice abuses, or, you know, sometimes it's only a limited few number of firms. Yeah. And- so, so Anya, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it seems to me that then this is just, it's kind of like a way to shoehorn in yeah. reg, reg BI stuff into exactly. a specific product regulation. Yeah. If you want to deal with Reg BI or change Reg BI or how any of these professions are regulated or their standard of conduct, then legislate that or regulate that in the appropriate channel. Form. Yeah. Try and shoe- shoehorn it into a random yes. product. Exactly. And, you know, they don't point to um, product failure cases. They're not pointing to, um, you know, uh, there's, they're, they're not making any attempt to justify any part of the proposal for some incremental investor benefit. And there's a very big difference on a, a failure of a, potentially a rep and a failure of a product. Um, you know, again, the, the cases and the, and the data is not germane to the, to the product itself. Sure. And, you know, we're dealing with a situation where, where over 97% uh, of redemptions were met. NASA talks a little bit about redemptions in the most trying and 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 difficult time of uh, you know our financial history during the pandemic. To me, that that you know that doesn't that's not indicative indicative of a failure of any product. In fact, that's a that's a you know great example of a, uh, the product holding up as it's designed. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so the you know the the regulation best interest you know we already have the um, Reg BI requirements or fiduciary requirements for investment advisors. This proposal is creating potentially four new conduct standards. They're weaving in ERISA requirements, Reg BI fiduciary requirements of investment advisors into different pieces of this proposal. And again, it's remember it's important to remember. NASA intends to use this as a template for other product guidelines. They say that in right in the proposal. And yeah. that that creates confusing and conflicting requirements for investment advisors, for broker dealers. Those it creates requirements that will be subject to state law interpretation. And there is nothing, there's nothing in product guidelines that justifies or necessitates any changes because of. Um, conduct standards for those that sell products. There's nothing. So that that's you know a flawed a some you know a, a flawed statement. A- a- absolutely. I mean it. You know, again, I'm not an RIA. I'm not an advisor. Yes. I'm not a registered rep. But to me, like if I'm an RIA and I have a fiduciary duty, I want to know what my duties are, what my legal obligations are, what my responsibilities are. I'm thinking about those in terms of my client, in terms of my client's portfolio, in terms of my client's investment objectives. Yes. I'm not thinking about my standard of conduct changing 
on a product by product basis where I have a fiduciary duty in reference to stocks, but not to bonds and then different duties, you know, it's like, boy, that's just a way to create a mess. And I mean, I, I sort of get the feeling, um, how do I state this? It almost feels like a little bit of a bureaucratic turf war where maybe um, some regulators who are supposed to be regulating a specific thing are not willing to stay in their lane and regulate the specific thing in the way that they're charged to by law, but instead are trying to, you know, sort of. <laughs> state regulators have broad enforcement authority. Sure. They have authority to bring cases on fraud or other, you know, um, uh, bad actors. And so there's nothing that has limited them. If there is a bad actor um, and no one condones bad actors to bring enforcement cases. And, and frankly, states do. If you But if you look at NASA's enforcement report, you're not going to see reference to these products over the last several years. It's and So it's interesting that they're proposing something, but there's no citation to NASA's, you know, enforcement report. And the, it, you made a great point. So investment advisors and broker dealers, broker dealers, they are the ones that that know the investment objectives, the um, liquidity needs, risk tolerance, age, you know, everything else that holistically goes into an investor's profile. It is, um, you know, frankly, somewhat paternalistic for a regulator to walk into that um, decision and 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 make those determinations for the investor and the financial advisor that they're working with. Um, you know, certainly NASA does not know that type of information. And, and frankly, sponsors, asset managers aren't there to, to, to make those determinations either. And for those distribution partners, they are not only having to track now these new conduct standards that are, um, you know, going, going to be different and messier and impose other obligations across the board, but, and we'll get to this in a minute, but they are going to have to monitor concentration limits with no time caller uh, that have to do with reads, but all other types of products. For oh, and I got, I have to interrupt there because yes. that's probably the most interesting one yes. to me that just jumped out to me. And yes. I, so we're jumping ahead. Now this was the, the, I think the third or fourth of the proposed additions, I won't say revisions, um, so it's, it's a purchase limit, a proposed purchase limit on non-traded REITs and other illiquid direct participation programs that do not exceed 10% of an investor's liquid net worth. And so here's the thing, like I, I can see the underlying theory of holistically as a society, as a profession, as an industry, we want investors to have appropriate portfolios. We don't, RIAs and, and asset managers as a group, we, we don't want investors to be too highly concentrated in a way that's not going to benefit them. But I want to point out, even outside of alternative investments, certainly outside of, of REITs, but even outside of alts, you could go into the stock market, exchange-traded funds. I mean, I, I started my financial media career in exchange-traded funds. I love ETFs. ETFs are great. They are a tool that can help an investor achieve their goals, right? One of my favorite ETF companies is Direction. Um, they have leveraged and inverse ETFs. They have 2X leveraged ETFs. They have 3X 
leverage ETFs. Those are not exchange traded funds that most investors should necessarily be investing in. That's a very extreme example. But those types of products are not regulated on like a product level, right? They may interact with a, an RIA's, for instance, fiduciary standard. Um, but, but even let's take publicly traded stocks. An investor should, should probably not have 80% of their net worth in a single stock, in Tesla stock or in a technology stock. And so when you want to get specific, I could just think through a million, a million and one individual portfolios where there is arguably too high of concentration of an individual security, right? But but then we're going to get into talking about portfolio construction and all sorts of theory. And that's a fun conversation to have. What I don't understand is picking one specific product type in a random arbitrary number, like 10%. And this, this product type is not even anywhere near as risky as some of the other things that I mentioned, for examples. Mm -hmm. And so we're just going to, it seems to me like we're going to randomly regulate this one product type with an arbitrary number. It just seems so silly and uh, frankly pointless to me that... <laughs> yeah, there's no other regulated, federally registered product that limits the amount of investment an individual can make in any single vehicle or an entire industry. Right. And, you know... Um, Sorry, I lost my train of thought for a minute, but there's you, in the private placement world, sure. you certainly there are limitations because these are not regulated products and you may have really sophisticated private offerings and then less sophisticated private private offerings. But again, to our conversation earlier, there's no other registered investment product that has this type that that includes any type of limitation. And when you're walking through the definition, first of all, 10 percent is an arbitrary number. Why 10%? And there's no discussion in the proposal of why 10% makes sense. And, and I would start with, you know, which, where I did, which is why do we have this limitation in the first place for a regulated product? But then again, you know, 10% is arbitrary and it's 10% of your liquid net worth. Liquid net worth is nowhere else in the federal securities laws. So Anya, I'm sorry to interrupt the, uh, regarding the liquid net worth thing. Yes. Uh, if I understand a, a, the definition of an accredited investor involves an investor's net worth, excluding their primary residence, but even that definition doesn't specifically reference liquid net worth. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And, you know, liquid net worth is your ability to withstand, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a look at your monthly expenses, a, a, a ability to withstand sort of a sudden financial loss. The, the, the proposal is look, it doesn't look at your just overall financial net worth and income the way you see in other mm -hmm. facets of the securities laws. And so, you know, you could have a $500 million business or own a huge portfolio of REITs, and none of that would be counted in your liquid net worth. So it, liquid net worth itself is arbitrary, as is the 10%. And the other thing is the definition is 10% of your liquid net worth um, in the non-listed read, non-traded read, or its affiliates or other or direct participation programs. So affiliates, this is a big concerning word because you've got major asset managers that have, again, the, a national product, national distribution, you have major asset managers that have REITs, 
and interval funds and mutual funds and affiliate captures all of that. So the definition of that would mean you may have 10% in the REIT, the non-traded REIT, but now you're excluded from buying other sleeves, other product offerings, the mutual fund or ETF that's offered by that. Oh, uh, wow. So that could, as the manager, that could hit these large asset managers that have index funds, ETFs, non-traded REITs. They're obviously not doing anything wrong. They're obviously not, even from NASA's point of view, that probably wasn't what that proposed addition was driving at. It's just uh, an unintended side effect um, of it this. Looks, it's a lack of understanding of the of the current of what the market looks like today. That is a huge reflection of what the market is and who is who are the sponsors and asset managers in the in the in the in the in our space. Um, and frankly, they also reference the word direct participation program. States don't actually define direct participation program. FINRA's definition of direct participation excludes REITs. So while they may, you know, there's some common understanding of what that should mean, it's not well-defined. An affiliate is not well-defined. And they're trying to regulate products that are preempted from state oversight because of how broad that definition extends. Mm. So... You know, there and and again because these are national products and subject to national distribution channels, it's an impossible task to be. Um, and I want to say one other important thing: is an impossible task to be monitoring, you know, the 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 concentration limits in all fifty states. And there's a ton of discretion built into this proposal for states. They talk about it being uniform but the language itself gives states significant discretion. In fact, uh, some states have concentration limits that they impose on sponsors today, which frankly, the sponsor has no control over. They can't monitor um, the, the, you know, the, the sales to any one investor of many different products. And even those are 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 implemented on a non-uniform basis. I mean, that just sounds silly to me. What is the sponsor supposed to require that investor upload every single asset they own or something prior to investing in their that makes it's that's non-workable. It's that even if it were a good idea, it's just so impractical, it can't occur in reality, right? Yeah, it's not a sponsor. Some of them are required in a number of states today to to uh put a concentration limit on the prospectus, but mm. they don't have any control over that. But sure. again, the states don't regulate and have they don't have this authority to regulate the distribution channel in this manner. So the only place that you that they have that authority to control it is to tell a sponsor that has that has no ownership, no control over this you know, put this into your prospectus and have this be a requirement for sales of your product. The other thing is there's no time caller on the concentration limit. There's a, it's not at the time of the transaction. So, you know, if the market is swinging up and down, your, your 10% can go up, it can go down. A firm is not going to tell an investor, you now have to liquidate your holdings on, you know, you, you've bumped over the, 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 the you know, 10% limit. And so for- How would a firm even know that? How would they possibly know they couldn't? They, they wouldn't have access to all of that information. It's, it's totally 
unworkable. And and I think, okay, the, the most concerning thing here, I think, for a lot of our listeners, a lot of our viewers, that, that you've mentioned that this is intended to be a template that mm-hmm. is going to be ap- applied beyond non-traded reads. So, right. you know, if, if you're an RIA listening and you're maybe placing clients into a lot of other types of alternative products, or, or maybe your sponsor is listening and you know, you have a product that's not in a non-traded REIT wrapper, but it's in a different sort of wrapper. This should probably concern almost everyone because it's it's probably it's probably not going to stop just here with non-traded REITs. Is is that what you're thinking, Anya? Well, they they say that in the proposal, though. So they say we intend to use this as a template for other types of products mm-hmm. that are subject to state review, and then they list a number of those different asset-backed securities and. BDCs and other, you know, other products that again states have purview over. So, you know, that they're they're channeling to the industry what their future intent is based on these four four pieces. And then, of course, as I mentioned, the concentration limits are so broad. If you're dropping this into other product guidelines, that means it's the the, the effect has it has such a ripple down effect to other parts of the financial system, you know, and, you know, we're talking about, there's been a huge growth just alone in the non-traded read industry, you know, there, um, you know, high projections for growth of the next five years. This is about the health of the financial markets. And this product, if you look at the space, you look at the sponsors that have come, have come into the space, the, you know, of course we hear about sponsors interested in the space, very large global asset managers. They're playing in a, a really important role in, in the, in the, you know, health and stability of our financial markets. So. But also you know, giving retail investors access to some of these markets, because again, a lot of these publicly traded REITs are going private and some of these rules are going to really limit investor access. So we, we they also had a, uh, was there a net? Yeah, there's a net. They're they're changing. They're proposing to change the net income and net worth threshold. So right. they're they're literally going to make some of these sectors that mm-hmm. now in in REIT form only exist in non traded REIT form. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to really be limiting investor access to those. And if that's if that spreads to other types of alternative investment offerings, and you know, you mentioned BDCs. I think that's another example of a wrapper that what existed 20 years ago or 10 years ago is not relevant to the 2022 version of BDCs in the marketplace, just like with non-traded REITs. So that's really concerning to me. It it, it seems like NASA is not really up to speed on the current offerings and and how how they work in reality in the marketplace. Yeah, the proposal does not reflect that because the guidelines that were last updated in 2007 don't don't reflect that. The the additions that they're suggesting don't reflect that. Don't reflect the current state of the market. Our goal is to better inform we we appreciate the role of I, I should say we appreciate the role of state regulators and they have um you know incredible enforcement authority and they play an important role but this proposal has far-reaching consequences and it is you know there's a lack of appreciation and understanding 
of the product today. You've mentioned BDCs because of multi-share class relief. Now there are NAV BDCs. That is changing the landscape. So our goal here is to let, we're writing a very detailed comment letter, but to let the, the NASA and the states know we have a lot of problems with this proposal and, and why to really explain that and hopefully come to the table and, um, you know, try to be heard. Uh, but I wanted, you mentioned the investor net worth and, and income limitations. Again, and I've mentioned this a number of times today, but these are federally registered products. So for the, for the benefit of federal registration, there are no investor um, ownership requirements, but states impose individual investor net worth and income limitations to buy this particular product that is both federally and state registered. And they are indexing back backwards to inflation to 2007, those investor income and net worth numbers. And even the SEC over, you know, they've, they've talked about the accredited investor definition for years and there've been some updates. And they, first of all, have not updated the individual net worth and income limitations, but they certainly, have not indexed them backwards to inflation. The, oh. the accredited investor um, numbers were uh, proposed in 1982 and the SEC hasn't taken that position. So states really are setting some precedent that we don't see our federal regulators setting. And again, these are the one of the most regulated products there are because they're dual regulated. So that's some of our concerns about the, you know, income and net worth numbers and, and some of the changes that they're proposing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I like that little walk down history lane of, I wasn't familiar with the the date of the definition of an accredited investor, but if you look at alternatives, really big picture and their growth path in the last 40 years. Yeah. Um, you know, we started, they started really becoming, I think, popular in the imagination of a lot of investors. When retail investors learned about David Swenson and the Yale Endowment Fund, and they've sort of grown in the popular imagination, but it's been, technology has been a huge disruptor and we've seen more and more transparency. And right, not everything happens in a second, but little by little in almost every segment of the alternatives universe, over time, we see more and more transparency more and more accessibility. And so it makes sense to me that the definition of accredited investor wouldn't be indexed to inflation because these products are becoming more transparent. They are becoming more accessible. And so it doesn't make any sense to me that that to take the tack that um, this whole segment of the investment universe, which by the way, uh, in, in many cases will outperform uh, the liquid markets with less volatility, we're going to limit this whole part of the investment universe to only the rich. And we won't let middle-class investors access it, even if they know real estate well, even if they're very comfortable with real estate, even if they're comfortable in investing in non-traded REITs, they're not allowed to. Um, it, it just makes zero sense to me in that larger context of, um, you know, to sort of cheerlead for the industry for a minute. There's so much more transparency than there was a decade ago, let alone two or three. So many, frankly, just better products that are a better, offer more value to investors. And uh, of course, like you, I can appreciate the role of regulators, federal regulators, 
and state regulators 100%, but, but it's also okay to say, look, these wrappers are a good thing. These new products are a good thing. And, and the fact that these products are better, we want them to, to be more accessible. That's exactly right. You know, we're proud of changes. We're, we, we are incredibly proud of, you know, ev positive evolution, investor-friendly features in the products. And that's what you have today. And, you know, we could go down a long discussion about, the, you know, investor standards for private programs and whether that's appropriate even today with more disclosure and more um, transparency. But these, again, these aren't private programs. These are federally regulated and state regulated programs and investors purchase their, you know, uh, uh, they, they access them through, uh, through the broker dealer channel that has conduct standards, the investment advisor channel that has conduct standards. And those intermediaries have regulators that oversee them and impose a lot of obligations when you're dealing with products that may be more complex or different types of products. And so, you know, if there's, if there's a concern that maybe something was not sold properly, there are regulators to have those discussions with. And again, it's, it's not, you know, circling back to this, it's not germane to the product. And what we want to see is this positive evolution and, and more asset managers coming into this space and feeling that this would be a great opportunity for investment for investors, excuse me, you know, to, to bring diversification. And then when the investor, you know, works with their financial professional, they can make those determinations based on what their needs are. Absolutely. Give the people what they want and they want nav reads. Um, <laughs> on that note, so I think <laughs> the IPA is doing a great job of being a thought leader in this, but, but where can our viewers and listeners go? What can they do to add their voices, to make their voices heard, especially during the comment period before September 12th? Absolutely. So the IPA has an incredible grassroots tool. It is a pre for, if you go to our website, we have a link on there called the NASA hub. It's information about the proposal, information about uh, news articles, this podcast will be on there, and comment letters that are submitted, any additional information that we can provide the public about this proposal and for them to take action. And on that, on that uh, website page, we have a take action link. As I said, it's a grassroots tool. So it's a pre-filled letter. You can customize it. And that letter will go direct. We encourage customization. That is important. And that little letter will go directly to NASA but also your home state securities regulator, because certainly this is a NASA proposal, but ultimately it's a proposal that gets adopted sometimes automatically in the state securities uh, for in, in your states, your home state secure by your home state securities regulator. And sure. so what the other thing we're encouraging is make your voice heard. If your firm can write a letter directly to NASA, do that. The IPA can certainly work with you. It's important for NASA to hear with all stakeholders that are going to be impacted. If you have a relationship with your home state regulator, talk to them about this proposal, reach out. So engage. Engage is the, is the best thing I can say. Um, engage through your, your local chamber, engage with your regulator, use our grassroots tool or write your own letter. And all of that, you can find all of that information on our website. We're keeping it up to date daily. 
We've already sent out almost a thousand letters, not we, but our members and the public that have used the grassroots tool. Uh, there's been almost a thousand letters that have gone out already. So we're very excited about that. And just make your voice heard. I mean, that's what that's that's the purpose of a public comment proposal. And again, we are happy there was additional time. Use that additional time wisely. You have until September 12th to do something. Yeah. And you know what? I'm counting on the Alternative Investment Podcast listeners and viewers to hit that 1000 threshold. Let's let's smash through the thousand letter threshold. And I'll make sure to link to uh, that webpage at the IPA website um, in our show notes. So uh, one more thing, actually, can I add one more thing? Please come to the IPA conference. Our conference is two days after the NASA conference where they will be presenting, discussing on the, the proposal. Many IPA members will be at the NASA conference. We are going to be holding special sessions at our conference to talk about in real time, what did we learn from NASA and state regulators? What's gonna happen next? What is our strategy? How do we, you know, the, the IPA is hoping to have some meetings with NASA leadership leading up to that. So a plug to come to the conference, it will be, again, real time and an actionable discussion on what's happening and what to do next. Yes. And AltsDB, I should mention uh, my partner, Jimmy and AltsDB, we often have a presence at these conferences. So if you see us there, please don't be a stranger, come and introduce yourself and let's talk. And so I'll be sure to link to the conference as well as the grassroots page in our show notes. And those show notes are available at altsdb.com slash podcast. Anya, thanks again for coming on the show today and shedding light on all of this regulatory uh, information. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having my, me and uh, ha including the IPA's perspective. We're just happy to have your listeners get some uh, real inside information about what's going on. Absolutely. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you like this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. The Alternative Investment Podcast is produced by the Alternative Investment Database, online at altsdb.com. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and access the show notes by visiting altsdb.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode. 